So, of course, we've been in the book of Habakkuk, which is, is not a real popular book to preach through. Um, actually, as a matter of fact, all the preaching I've ever heard on Habakkuk, all the preaching I've ever done in Habakkuk, uh, has been the last part of chapter number three. And that's where most, most people uh, park and they preach through that. But I, I love, and especially here, we love going through Scripture verse by verse so we can see the context, so we can see what's going on and the truth that God has for us. So in this book, there is a lot of rich and powerful truth. Now, if you're here this morning and you've ever hurt, you've ever lost, you've ever experienced difficulty, then Habakkuk can resonate with you. As we've walked through Habakkuk, we've seen that Habakkuk has some problems with God. And if we're honest, there are times in our life where we have problems with God. We don't like saying that. It, it seems sacrilegious to say, I don't like what God's doing. But that's what Habakkuk is dealing with. Of course, the nation of Judah has been gone into idolatry, and Habakkuk is, is very upset. He's very confused. And so he, he, he's asking God and questioning God and saying, God, I don't understand that if you're a good, holy, loving God, why these things are happening. And we all feel like that from time to time. Several weeks ago, there was a a family down in, Tennessee, in Georgia had a fire break out in their house, and this mom and dad lost all three of their children. And the only reason I know about it, because it's not unique, it happens all the time, the only reason we know about it is because they were members of a church that many of our missionaries go to, Vision Baptist Church down in Georgia. And so you see these things on Facebook where one of the children perished that night and the other two were in the hospital and just succumbed to their injuries over time. But there was prayers for them and people begging God to intervene. And you, you look at situations like that. You look at, God, how could you allow a, a mom and a dad who, who they love you, they serve you, the dads in Bible college to be a missionary God. How can you allow bad things like that to happen to people who want to love you and people who want to serve you? And that's what Habakkuk is dealing with. He is looking at God and saying, God, I don't understand the pain. I don't understand the hurt. I don't know why these things are happening to me. Habakkuk doesn't like the fact that Judah has gone back into worshiping gods and false idols and, and, and into idol worship. And so he is complaining to God. He says, God, why are you letting your people do this? Why are you letting your people? You are a holy, righteous God. Why are you just sitting by idly while your people turn from you and run from you and worship these false gods? Do you remember God's response to Habakkuk? He said, Habakkuk, I'm, I'm not idle. I'm not letting them get away with it. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm sitting in the Chaldeans, this wicked, vile nation. And they're going to come in and they're going to conquer Judah to discipline my people because of their rebellion. Now Habakkuk, he doesn't, he doesn't like that response. He goes to God and says, God, the, the Chaldeans are more wicked than we are. How can you use something wicked to punish your people? How can you use something so vile and disgusting to, to punish us because their false gods are going to get the glory and you're not going to get the glory? And God, you can't do that. That's a bad idea. God, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what you should do because obviously I know better than you do. It's very bold and brazen of Habakkuk. And I'm honestly shocked that the very next verse isn't, and God destroyed Habakkuk with lightning, the end. But God didn't destroy him. Now, most of us would never, and look, this conversation 
that Habakkuk is having with God, how he is just brazenly talking to God, it's recorded in Scripture for us today. Now, none of us would, would I, I believe, would dare go to our prayer closet and say, God, you don't know what you're doing, let me take over. But we live that way. We live like we don't like what God's doing. We live like we know better than God. So after Habakkuk kind of throws a fit on God, God comes to him and says, Habakkuk, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't see the whole picture. You don't see what the whole plan is. You are limited in what you can see, and you are limited in how you can see, but I'm not. I am not limited in the way that you are. In fact, I am beyond time. Tomorrow isn't a place, I, isn't a time I know about. Tomorrow is a place I am. I am eternal. I am all-knowing. I am all-powerful. I know that what I do today is going to affect hundreds of years in the future for my honor and for my glory. So he explained Habakkuk just how big the picture is and just how powerful he is. But when we understand that God's all-knowing, God sees everything, God knows everything, and God is good in everything, it causes some friction because we think, well, if, if God knows everything and God's all-powerful and God does good in everything, why, why am I dealing with this? Why am I hurting? Because he says he loves me, and if he loves me, why, why would he allow these bad things to happen? He, he can stop it, so, so why isn't he? I know he says it's good, but it doesn't feel good right now. It hurts right now. If God is infinite, if God is sovereign, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he can do whatever pleases him, then why do we have pain? Why do we suffer loss? Why do we hurt? Last week we saw that when we face these difficult times, these difficult questions, we have two choices in how we can respond. We can become proud and conceited and think we know better than God like the Pharisees did. Say, like if, if God would just do things my way, then everything would be fine. You know, a lot of times we complain that God doesn't answer prayer, but it's not that God doesn't answer prayer, it's God doesn't do what we tell him to do. You know, we go to God and say, God, here's, what, here's my problem and here's how to fix it. God doesn't need our advice on how to fix things, and so when we tell God what to do and God doesn't do it, we're like, oh, I guess God doesn't answer prayer. No, but God's sovereign. God knows more than you. And so we say, well, God, I, if he would just do it my way, things would have, would have worked out better. If God would just do what I say, then everything would work out good for me. That is a heart that is full of pride, that believes it knows better than God. But Habakkuk, God told us in Habakkuk chapter 2 last week that there's a second way we can respond. We can be conceited. We can be proud. We can think we know better than God. Or Habakkuk said, the righteous live by faith. The just live by faith. We don't always need to know the why. We just need to trust God. That he knows what he's doing and he has our best in mind. We need to trust that even in the darkest days, God is good. God is loving. And God is at work. 
The righteous living by faith in the face of tragedy. We live by faith in the face of loss. We live by faith in the face of devastations. That means we don't always have to have a reason. We can't always explain it, but we know that God is good, and no matter what pain we're in, God is accomplishing good through our difficulty. God's not always the source of pain. God's not always the source of turmoil, but he always uses pain in our life for his good, for our good, and for his glory. And we're going to see that in Habakkuk today. Now, up until this point in the book, God has been talking to Habakkuk and he's been talking to Judah. He's not addressed the Chaldeans and the Babylonians except to say, they're going to come in, I'm going to use them to discipline my people. But now... He turns his attention to these wicked nations. Look in your Bibles in Habakkuk chapter 2, start at verse number 6. The Bible says, Shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long and to him that, lay, that ladeth himself with thick clay? Shall they not rise up suddenly and shall bite thee and awake and shall vex thee? And thou shalt be for booties unto them. Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. Because of men's blood and for the violence of the land and of the city and of all that dwell therein. Now here's what God is saying to the Chaldeans, to the Babylonians. He's saying, to Judah. He goes, hey, I'm going to use the Chaldeans to discipline you. But he looks at the Chaldeans and says, woe to you because of what you're going to do. I'm going to use you to discipline my people, but I'm sending wrath onto you because of what you've done. See, Judah gets discipline. The Chaldeans get wrath. Why? Because they rebelled against God, so did Judah. Why? Because they were wicked in the sight of God, and they broke God's laws, no, so with Judah. They get wrath because they are not God's. Very simple. God will allow the remnant, he tells them, he's going to allow the remnant of the people that they have abused and have misused to rise up and overthrow them, to afflict them, to bring terror on them because of what they've done. Then look at verse number 9. Woe to him that covereth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall cry out for the wall of the wall, and the beam out of the timber will answer it. So God is saying not only have the Chaldeans conquered and oppressed and destroyed the people, but they have used the people they've oppressed to build themselves up. They've used the blood of the, the Israelites in Judah. They've used the blood of those they've conquered to make themselves more powerful. They are living in opulence while they, those they have conquered are living hard-pressed. And God says to the Chaldeans, your day of wrath is coming. Continue on, verse number 12. It says, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity, 
Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. For the earth shall be filled with knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, and putteth thy bottle to him, and thou makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be thy glory. See, when he talks about the cup of the Lord, what he is talking about is symbolic of God's wrath towards the rebellion of of men. He is pouring out his wrath on man's rebellion towards him. Remember when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, he was praying towards God the Father before his crucifixion. He said, Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Here's what God was, what Jesus was saying was, God, I don't want the wrath for sin put on me. So here's what God is saying to the Chaldeans. He said, the cup of my wrath is coming your way. Although I'm using you as an instrument of discipline for my people, my wrath will burn against you because of your rebellion against me. Then look at verse number 17. It says, For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. Habakkuk is telling us that God judges all sin. He disciplines his children, but he sends wrath to those that reject him. You have God's wrath being poured out on the Chaldeans through difficulty, through suffering, through pain. But all the things that are going to come to the Chaldeans because of their disobedience or rebellion against God, all these difficulties, all the hurt, all the pain, they're also coming to Judah through the Chaldeans. Difficulty, suffering, and pain are also coming to God's chosen people because of their disobedience and their rebellion. Both nations are going to suffer, but they're going to suffer for vastly different reasons with a vastly different purpose in mind. The purpose of Judah is discipline. The purpose of the Chaldeans is wrath. So this morning, I want to show the difference between discipline and wrath. So first of all, let's look at discipline. To get a biblical view of discipline, you need to go to Hebrews chapter number 12. So turn over your Bibles to Hebrews 12. I don't hear papers turning. Hebrews 12. The book of Hebrews is written to the Jewish believers who are being persecuted by non-believers. They are being beaten. They are being imprisoned. They are being persecuted so much that they are beginning to lose heart. They're beginning to think, Maybe this walking with Jesus thing isn't really worth it. And so the writer of Hebrews, he he writes to encourage them to continue in their faith. Look at verse number 3, chapter 12. It says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is just saying. He goes, hey, consider what Jesus went through for you. 
I, I know you're feeling persecuted right now, people. I know you're feeling, feeling like you're, you're being ridiculed. But, but consider what Jesus endured for you. Consider him who, 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 who bore all this, the, the pain for you. Don't grow faint-hearted in your struggles because what you've been through, Jesus has been through as well. See, in Hebrews chapter 4, we are told that we have a great high priest that has been through the same things that we have been through. Anything that we are experiencing, Jesus has experienced. Everything we are walking through, Jesus has walked through. He's experienced our walk. He's experienced our pain so that he could be empathetic to our plight as humans in a broken world. You ever been betrayed by someone close to you? So has Jesus. So when that betrayal comes, and that hurt comes, and that pain comes, Jesus knows what we're going through. He went through it so he could help us get through it. You ever lost a loved one? So has Jesus. Lost his best friend Lazarus. And of course he knew he was going to resurrect him from the dead, but he was so, so upset and so, so saddened at the death of Lazarus. The Bible says that he wept over his lost friend. We lose a loved one. We have a personal high priest that cares about how we feel because he knows how we feel. So Hebrews is telling us, when pain comes, look to Jesus because you're not alone. When hurt comes, lean on Christ because he, he knows what you're going through. You've not been abandoned. But look at verse number five. It says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you, as unto children, my son, despise not the chasing of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So difficulties, what Hebrews is telling us is difficulties, suffering, and pain, they are used by God to discipline us because God loves us. See, we don't understand that because when we think of discipline, we think of it in the wrong way. We think of discipline as punishment because of an act that's been committed. We look at discipline as don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. That's enough, I'm getting the belt, whack. That's not discipline. That's not what God is talking about. Discipline, here's what discipline is. Discipline is a vision of the future that requires action today. It is a vision for the future that requires action today to reach that vision. Tell me what I mean. Me and April have a vision for our children's future. We have goals for them. We have things we want them to achieve. We have, we have a, a vision in our minds of the type of adults we want them to grow up to be. So to get that vision, it requires work today. We can't say, man, I hope they grow up to be good Christian people who love God and serve their community, and maybe it'll just luck out and that'll happen. No, no, no. If we want to achieve that vision, we've got to work with them today to help them achieve that vision. So we shape them. We mold them. We chisel away at them. And sometimes we have to bring out the belt and whack. Why? Because we love them. We have a vision for them. 
and we want to help them achieve that vision. We do it because we have a vision of our children growing up pure in an impure world. We have vision of them growing up loving God, loving others, and wanting to serve God and be good to others. And to get them there, we have some work to do today. It is unpleasant. It is difficult. It is long work, but it has to be done today so they can achieve the vision we have for them tomorrow. So what Hebrews just told you, God has a vision for you. God has something in mind for you. And he is bringing you to where he wants you to be. That takes some chiseling. That takes some, some sanding. That takes some pain to get you there. Look at verse 7. The discipline of, uh, look at verse number 7. Sorry, if we endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. The discipline of God is ultimately for our good, and it leads to our holiness. It isn't pleasant, but it has a purpose. God's saying, I've got this picture of you. I've got this vision of you, and I'm, I'm, I'm turning you into this thing, and to get you to that goal, I'm going to need to chisel off some edges. I'm going to need to sand down some corners, and I, I may have to break some things to get you there, but it's all for your good. It's all for your holiness. It's all for your righteousness. Now, there are two reasons that God disciplines his children. First reason, number one, is correction because of sin. Sometimes God disciplines us because we've sinned against him. We see this most vividly in the life of David after his sin with Bathsheba. After his sin with Bathsheba, of course, he, he sees Bathsheba and he, he calls her in and the, the, the servants bring him in and he, he, he sleeps with her and she gets pregnant. And she comes to David and says, you know, I'm pregnant now. What are we going to do? And David hatches a plan to cover his sin. He, he has Uriah come back and tries to get Uriah to go home because Uriah's been on the field at battle for, for months. And so he's like, hey, he's going to come home. He's going to go see his wife. And he's going to do what most soldiers do when they've been gone for several months. And it'll, it, I'll be, man, my son will be covered. But Uriah is a good man. He won't do that. And so David tries to get him drunk and he won't do it. And so finally David murders Uriah to cover up his sin. After Bathsheba's mourning is over, he immediately marries her, brings her to the palace. She has a baby. He thinks, I was close. I got away with it. He thinks everything's fine. She goes through the pregnancy. She has the baby. They just tell everybody, oh, well, he's just a preemie. He's a 12-pound, 8-ounce preemie. But he's just, you know, he's a little premature. No big deal. Who's going to question the king? I mean, who's got the guts to come up and say, David, I think you're hiding something. Well, one man, Nathan. Nathan the prophet comes to David after, it's been a couple years. The son is alive, the baby's born as a son, he's alive. He's healthy, he's fine. Nathan comes to David and says, David, I got a story for you. 
there was this rich man had a lot of sheep. His neighbor was poor, had one little lamb. And the rich man, he, he stole this, this poor man's lamb and, and he, he killed it and fed it to a friend of his. And David is furious. He said, I'm going to find this guy. I'm going to kill him for what he did. And Nathan says, David, you're the guy. This is what you've done. And he tells him, he goes, David, God sent me here to tell you because of what you've done, your son's going to die. Because of what you've done, the sword will never leave your house. Because of what you've done, pain is coming. Hurt is coming. Loss is coming. God is disciplining you because of your sin. Psalms 51 is David's prayer of repentance towards God because of his sin. And in verse number 8, David prays this. He goes, make me to hear joy and gladness. The bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. David has taken responsibility for his sin. He's already gone to God and said, God, I sinned against you and you only. I am wrong. You are right. You are holy. I am wicked. But God, the pain I'm suffering with, the pain I'm going through, you have sent it to me. But I understand why and I will rejoice because of the pain. God was not punishing David out of anger. He was disciplining him out of, out of love. He was disciplining him to correct him, to bring him back into relationship with God. But we've got to be careful. We have a tendency, we look at our trials, our pain as testing, and your pain as judgment. I'm suffering because God's testing me for great things, but she's going through that because she sinned. Not every trial, not every pain is because of sin. There's other reasons that God disciplines us. Here's the second reason God disciplines us. To keep us from sin. We see this in the life of Paul. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In this, ver in this chapter, Paul is speaking. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just a few pages back from Hebrews. Start at verse number 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Did you catch what Paul said? He said, to keep me from being conceited, to keep me from getting proud, God sent pain to me. Paul hadn't done anything wrong. Paul wasn't sinning. Paul wasn't proud, and so God is punishing him or disciplining him to correct his pride. God is disciplining, disciplining Paul to keep him from getting prideful. The Bible is clear. He, God wanted to keep him humble because God resists the proud, but he draws near to the humble, and he loves Paul, and he wants to draw near to Paul, so he disciplines him. He sends pain to him. To chisel off so that Paul doesn't sin. God sends him a thorn to keep him humble so God can be near him and so God, Paul can grow in his love. But look at verse number 8. For this thing I sought the Lord, besought the Lord thrice that he might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. 
For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. If we could get this type, of, the type of, of character that Paul has, if we could really get this, it would change how we view everything about our life. There are very few of us who can honestly say, God, thank you for my weaknesses. Thank you for hurting me. Thank you for sending things that hurt, that make me sad, that make me weep. Thank you for the pain. Because it makes me rely on you. Instead, we do like Paul did in verse number 8. God, make the pain go away. Make it stop so I can do better. But Paul says, don't try to get out of it. Because when you're in pain, you're close to God. When you're out of it, when you don't have pain, we, we tend to drift. We tend to wander off. So sit under the weight of the pain and thank God for it. And Paul knew pain. He'd been stoned on multiple occasions. Twice he was left for dead. One, one story in Paul's life, he's, he's a prisoner on a prison boat going to jail. The boat sinks. So Paul swims to shore. He's with all his other captors, and I don't know why he didn't just try to get away. But he's, he's on shore. He builds a fire. He gathers everybody around. And to the people who are taken into prison, he preaches the gospel to him. And as he's preaching the gospel, shipwrecked on an island, a snake jumps out of the fire and bites him on the hand. If I were Paul, I'd be like, I'm done. This is enough. You got me arrested. You got me stoned. You got me shipwrecked. And now you're having snakes jump out of fire to bite me. God, enough's enough. Paul knew pain. But he said, I'm glad of my pain because it makes me rely on God. He grew content with pain because it kept him close to God. That is why God disciplines us. Not all the times because we've done wrong, but because he wants to keep us close. He's got to chisel away some things so we rely on him. So Habakkuk didn't like what was coming. But God had a purpose in it. God had a vision of Judah through that. So here's where that gives us hope. When we're in pain, there's a purpose for it. We may not understand it. We may not even see it in our lifetime. But God has a purpose for the pain. There's a goal. It is not meaningless. Discipline always has the purpose of fulfilling God's vision for your life. Discipline, while painful, is good for us. Judah was getting discipline. But the Chaldeans were getting wrath. Look at wrath for a second. Wrath, see, discipline is corrective. Wrath is punitive. It is God punishing sin. Wrath is God's anger at the rebellion of man being poured out against the rebellion against him. Now, wrath is reserved for those who reject 
the gift of the gospel. If you are here this morning and you are a child of God, you know for sure you're saved. You will never suffer the wrath of God. We'll be disciplined, but you will never sit under the wrath of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, the wrath of God towards all the sin of mankind was poured out on him. That's why he prayed, let this cup pass from me, because he knew that for a short time on the cross, the sin of mankind would be put on him, and God would pour his wrath on his son, and he would be separated from God. That's why on the cross he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because God was putting the wrath of all sin on Jesus Christ. On the cross, all the wrath of God was put on him. He took the punishment for our sin. He died in our place and he, 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 he was, took our punishment and he rose again to justify us with God the Father. He took the wrath so we wouldn't have to. But if you're here this morning... And you're not sure you're saved? You're not sure you're a Christian? God's telling us through Habakkuk, the day of wrath is coming. The Chaldeans had every opportunity to accept Christ. I mean, everybody in the Old Testament, we, we don't understand that. Abraham got saved by believing Jesus was going to die on the cross for him. They got saved the same way we get saved. Believing that Jesus would come and he would take the sins of man and he would die in their place and rise again to redeem them to God the Father. So they got saved the exact same way we got saved. We get saved looking back. They got saved looking forward. The Chaldeans could have gotten saved at any time. But God's telling them, if you don't accept my gift of salvation, wrath is coming. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure, God's telling us through Habakkuk, the day of wrath is coming. Coming. Wrath is punitive. Wrath is for those who reject God. Discipline is for those who are his children. Loss happens. Depression comes. Despair happens. People die. Disease is real. You could lose your job. On and on I could go. When these things come, when the pain comes, the question you have to ask yourself Am I being disciplined or am I under wrath? How that question is answered comes back to what you do with Jesus. The cup we read about in Habakkuk will surely come around to you. Now look, I deserve that cup. I deserve it. I've rebelled. I've rejected God. I've belittled. I've mocked. I've run my own way. I deserve the wrath of God. But here's the thing. When the time comes for that cup to be poured out on me, it's going to be empty. Because the wrath for my sin has already been poured on Jesus. Because I've accepted his gift. Because it's already been poured out. When God goes to pour that cup on me, he's going to find that cup empty with Christ sitting right next to him saying, no, no, no. He's perfect. He's spotless. He's ours. I've already taken the wrath for him. Jesus absorbed the wrath that God had for me, and then he speaks of my righteousness through himself to the Father. Now, whatever happens in my life, pain, hurt, difficulty, I know because I'm his child, it's not wrath. 
It's God's mercy and God's discipline on my life. I am never under the punitive punishment of God Almighty. I am under his merciful hand as he chisels away at me, making me more and more like his son for my good and for his glory. When we realize that, it makes a day of trouble a lot easier to stand in. When we realize that trouble is coming because God loves me and he's shaping me to be more like him. You have no righteousness of your own. You only have the righteousness of Christ in you. But here's the thing, if you don't have God as Jesus as your savior, you have to sit under God's wrath, but you don't have to. That's a decision that you are making. Christ has paid the price for you. All you have to do is accept his gift. All you have to do is trust what he did by dying on the cross, by lying in the grave for three days, and by rising again to redeem us to God the Father. Trust his work for your salvation, and you can avoid the wrath of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.